0: only from rustolium
2: Well on this podcast you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform and empower you and maybe also challenge you whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. The very brilliant Dr. Tracy Mountford is making a very welcome return to the podcast in this episode. Now, you may remember that Tracy came on the podcast last year, um, early on in 2019, after I had visited her clinic for some treatments. I will put the link in the show notes for that episode. But what we essentially discussed in that conversation were the things that someone who's never had any kind of cosmetic procedure, whether that's a facial treatment, an injectable, body coring, body coring, they don't do that, body contouring, whatever the treatment might be, it was the kind of questions that a first time or someone who's curious might ask and maybe want to know before they take the leap and actually go and visit a clinic. So, but in this conversation, we talk about expectations and we decided to put this conversation on tape because I was chatting to Tracy on the phone recently And we were having a very uh, casual conversation about my breast reduction surgery and how I hadn't realized how I had placed incredibly unrealistic expectations on what the surgery could achieve. Um, And obviously I've covered this on the podcast and also on IGTV, but to recap for anyone who isn't aware, when I had my breast reduction surgery, I thought it would fix a lot more than just large, heavy pendulous, to uh, (laughs) to use the word that was used in the clinical letter. Um, breasts. So it was a bit of an anti-climax and not the wow moment I was expecting when it, it didn't make me look brilliant all over. I explain it much better in the dedicated podcast and the IGTVs, which I'll again put the links to in the show notes. And Tracy was really intrigued by this, that this was my reaction because obviously in her clinic she works with so many people on a daily basis. So she sees a lot of reactions to treatments and she was intrigued by mine because obviously... She doesn't regularly come across an anticlimactic one. So um, our conversation centres around why, basically, how to really set your expectations. Things like why the consultation you have with any esthetician or surgeon is so vital. What you can realistically expect from a treatment that relaxes your facial muscles, for example. What she considers a red flag when looking for an esthetician or treatment. And Tracy... I've known Tracy for for a while and in my line of work as a beauty editor, she's definitely, or beauty writer, she's definitely somebody who operates at the highest of standards. So when she says there's a red flag, I listen to her. Um, She also answers the question whether you get what you pay for, why the first treatment is the one where you get the real wow factor. And we also discuss the various results and expectations to have um, depending on your age, which I thought was really interesting and also crucially... If you think of all of those people that you might look at in movies or on Instagram who are maybe between the ages of 40 and 60 who look ageless, Tracy explains why those people look that way and why they're getting it right and why they actually look so good. And obviously for me, that's the road I want to go down. But anyway, you'll hear all about it in the conversation. We recorded this podcast over the internet, which you can probably tell because we're both still adhering to very, you know, trying to be quite careful. And Tracy's office at her clinic is a little bit echoey, but thankfully you can hear every single word. So hopefully you will enjoy the chat that we have. I'll put the link to Tracy and her clinics in the show notes, but um, we fully anticipate that actually what this conversation will do is generate a lot of questions about whether it's particular treatments, about specific techniques, about anything that you might be worried about. So for that reason the floor is very much open so either email me at thebeautypodcast.gmail.com at or DM me and um, I can uh, go back to Tracy and maybe we can answer some questions that you may have. Anyway I love this chat because I could talk to experts like Tracy for hours honestly trust and believe. Probably a good thing I didn't actually go to the clinic because I would have um I would have just chewed her ear off or made her chew mine off for hours on end. Anyway please join me in welcoming back Dr Tracy Mountford to the Emma Gun Show. I'm so delighted to welcome Dr. Tracy Mountford back onto the podcast. Tracy is a cosmetic doctor and she's the owner of the Cosmetic Skin Clinic. And she's joining me on an episode. Hello, Tracy. Hello, Emma. Thank you for having me back. (laughs) A pleasure because we had a chat on the phone a few weeks ago and we talked about expectation versus reality when it comes to any kind of cosmetic procedure. Yes. And it came off the back of um, me talking in the video about how I had uh, what is I mean it's a practical but also somewhat cosmetic procedure in a breast reduction, yeah. thought it would fix everything, and it didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said to you, does that transpose onto other cosmetic procedures? And I think your expertise and experience said actually yes. Yeah, I think it's really
0: interesting that we, because when we had this discussion, it really resonated with me because, you know, having been, I almost hate to admit this, but having been nearly 30 years in the cosmetic industry, you learn a lot. You hear a lot, you learn a lot. You become educated yourself about all kinds of things. And though you can actually really get a very well-balanced, very, very, you know, uh, realistic um, person in front of you who has you know a, what i would call an ideal cosmetic patient you know somebody who understands that there are limitations it is quite a surprise actually um, to realize that sometimes they hang their hat oh. on this cosmetic procedure doing all kinds of you know wonderful things for them and changing their whole lives and changing their relationships and make, and actually what you said is true it may not do any of those things and I think it comes down, but, but the converse can be true too, which we can discuss in a minute, the converse can be true too. But I agree, I, I think sometimes people hang their hat on, if I have this done, oh, I'm going to be so happy and my life's going to be different and I'm going to be empowered. And, and that can happen, but a lot of the time it doesn't. And then, won't well, betide us as cosmetic doctors, who in that patient's view, you know, we haven't delivered what, what they expect from that treatment. And that's where it all goes a little bit wrong.
2: So that adds a whole other layer to to the consultation that I'd never even considered. So for you, someone sitting in front of you and you have to not sell them the procedure, but you have to explain the procedure Mm. in very real terms and also sort of not get the hope involved, I guess. How does it affect how you speak to a patient about a procedure?
0: Yeah, I would say to my team, I've got a big team now, the most important part of Any kind of cosmetic procedure, whether it be surgical or non-surgical, is the initial consultation. It's more important, weirdly, one, one would hope that once you get to the treatment, you're having someone do it that knows what they're doing, going to do it let's let's say that's a given you know we know what we're doing we know we're going to do it well but actually the consultation is by far and away the most important part and by far and away the thing that's done the least well and and, and I'm not speaking about acne I'm talking about generally because I think I've had the odd thing done of course over the years and whether it's surgical or otherwise it is amazing how little that you can be told about the limitations or the potential downturn, you know, like, things that make a difference, like swelling, long-term swelling, people get really upset if they're bruised for too long or swollen for too long. It can really, they're not told their husbands or partners about these treatments. So if you actually bruise them to high heaven, in our mind, we think, well, of course we might bruise you because we're doing a very sophisticated treatment for you. You're going to look fantastic in three weeks. But in their head, their partner's asking them, you know, what on earth have you done to yourself? So the consultation has to be very, very clear. It has to be very, very honest and an open dialogue. And actually, if you're really direct with people, you can still be very, you know, aspirational and talking about all the positives of the treatment as well. But actually, people go into it with a different set of, of goggles on. They go into it with a different perspective and generally, then you can be fairly sure that you're going patients who are happy. So it's interesting that you said you didn't find that it, you know, I don't want to be prying into your, your experience, but when you reflect on what you said to me, it didn't really deliver what I got. Is that because you, you, was that because of you? Because you thought it would just deliver all kinds
2: of other nice, nice things into your life? Was it? Or was yeah, you, and we, we can pry. On, on the Emma Gunders Show, we're, we're all about... Okay, let's, it. Let's, let's get a so little gritty then.
0: What do you think, where it fell short for you and what you thought might it might deliver that it
2: didn't? Do you know what? It, it had actually nothing to do, and I wouldn't want to give the impression that it... Uh, the surgery was fantastic, mm-hmm. and I think that my surgeon did a great job. Yeah. It was that there was a part of me that thought, if I have my breasts reduced and I've had them lifted, which is obviously you know goes hand in hand with the treatment with the procedure I had then it then I will emerge from the operation (laughs) just with nicer legs a nicer body and all over not just nicer boobs I thought that I thought that my boobs were the thing that was standing between me and my body looking good and then I had the the surgery and it was like oh now I've got great boobs but actually the rest of me really does need some work that was how I felt obviously if somebody else that doesn't mean somebody else needs to feel that way. Yeah. So that was so in a in a real way, it was an incredibly useful and helpful thing to do because it it got my head straight. And actually, my surgeon did say, um, because I said about my weight, I said my weight has always gone up and down, and I can only get to a low, not a low weight, I've got to be really careful about how I speak about it, but yes. I have only ever previously lost weight if I have over exercised and under-eaten, yes. and then I can yes. never maintain it.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I get that.
2: and I, But I think that, you know, it's very, again, what you say is
0: not uncommon because we can do what we think is an amazingly good treatment, review that treatment and think, oh, that, you know, that's great. Patient, by the way, acknowledges, like you did, it's a great treatment. But all it can then do, as you rightly say, is focus onto something else. So they say, actually, this is good, but now, of course, when we're assessing faces, necks, whatever, it is our job, before we start anything, to say, look, you've got to keep balance. If you have this done, we'll leave this behind. Meaning, you know, if you have your eyes done, it's going to leave your lower jawline looking lacking. We've got to consult you in your entirety. We're not selling you lots and lots and lots of treatment. That isn't the purpose of the consultation. That would be frankly unethical. But we do have to address everything if you're seeing someone over a certain age, because it would be wrong not to do that. So if, you know, you're, 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 if I'm suggesting a, a muscle relaxing treatment to a woman in their fifties, and they've got some jawline sagging and some loss of volume, it would be simply appalling not to mention that to them. So you're right; it can often, if you do one thing, it's a bit like wallpaper redecorating a room. Once you do one wall, you're probably focusing on all the other walls because all the other walls haven't had attention. So it's what you're saying is very, very common. But the converse is more common, meaning that for most, I think there is a big difference between non-surgical and surgical. That's the first point I'd make. I think when you put your, I don't know what you think, Emma, but when you put yourself under the stress of a general anaesthetic, all the things that go with that, the worry of all of that, the aftermath, which can be easy or it can be difficult. I think the expectation of a surgical outcome, I think, is significantly more than perhaps the expectation of a non-surgical outcome mm. though, though those lines are being very blurred now very very blurred so I think that therefore you're often setting yourself up for more likelihood to perhaps be a little bit more not disappointed but maybe underwhelmed long term with a surgical procedure I can see what you mean mm. but both monitoring procedures normally give very high levels of satisfaction and very high levels of uh, improvement on
2: self-esteem ratings did so, you say body contouring sorry yeah
0: there's a lot of there have been studies on this they've done this on liposuction definitely we're currently running one in the clinic on core sculpting about the impact of self-esteem and with quite quite sophisticated psychological assessments that have all been worked out properly and trying to work out whether if you engage someone in a body contouring, and I've put breast, that's sort of slightly different, of course, but mm. in a body contouring treatment, what their self-esteem rating is like before and what their self-esteem rating is like afterwards. And generally speaking, it will normally come out significantly greater. So you've actually not only improved someone's physical uh, appearance, if that's the way you want to put it, but we've also improved their psychological well-being so there's a lot of studies going on currently there's a lot of data on surgical but we're currently running one in clinic on non-surgical body contouring
2: for that so it's very interesting so you talk about the consultation and i'm sure people listening to this might be thinking whether they've been for a consultation before or they're considering going for one well how do i get the most out of my consultation with a practitioner whether it's aesthetic or whether it's a surgeon what are the questions I should be asking and what should my expectations be? Because my own personal experience was going to see surgeons and I saw a few before I settled on the one that I had, is that I could I began to feel, just take the emotion out of it. They don't want to hear about how upset you are that you can't answer the front door to the postman in the morning unless you've got a bra on.
0: I do, I would want to hear that, I would want to hear that. And I mean that absolutely genuinely. I, I think the emotional thing is very important. I really do. you know. Um, so to go back to what you asked me, I think when you're, you're searching for somebody um, to go for a consultation, what you did was absolutely right. You, you, you perhaps go to, certainly surgically, I would go to more than one person. No matter how good or re- reputation or name someone has, I do believe if you gel with the person and you, you trust them, you, you know what it's like. If you have a consultation, I trust you. I like you. I think you're going to do a good job for me. I really like you. I've seen three people who have equal credentials, but you, I'm going to put my trust in. Mm. So I think that's very important with a surgical procedure because it's a big, big deal. So I think that's the first thing. So I go reputationally always, and I'd say that with surgery and non surgery. Again, the lines get blurred with that because of the PR circus. Because of you know, now we're all in the in the good old days, we, we didn't really have to put ourselves out there too much, market ourselves too much, be, you know, the sexiest, cutest practitioners, or the this or the that. I be I mean that but I don't know what sexy in terms of sexy sexually, I mean, you know, the sexy images that we project on our websites and all mm-hmm. that things in terms of, you know, text and font and colour. Kind of. And I think the public are confused. They don't know where to go for good consultation. So the first thing I'd say is I would try to get somebody on good recommendation, reputation. Colleagues, friends, platforms like yourself, Emma, where they can find reliable information about, you know, perhaps who to go to. Um, I think then you want to really quiz. When really you ring up or inquire, you want to quiz how long do I get for my consultation? How long is that, does that take? Now I know some non-surgical practices that don't charge for consultations. I do, by the way, but some don't now that's great but that often means not always but that often means you get quite a quick consultation it, you know it, it's not it's a non-fee paying one and i'll be honest of course sculpting we do do a non-fee paying one because a lot of people aren't suitable so it's a waste of their money by the way but i think if you go to somewhere where they charge the consultation they give you their time as much time as you need then that's a first pointer of something that's going to be good i think secondly um never be uh, on consultation no cut price sort of enticements there all of us are looking to have a good um a good deal nowadays aren't we but i think if there's any commerciality in the consultation where it's well, if you do it now or you do it before friday or if you do it before thursday week you'll get buy one get one that's always a big pressure pressure cooker that you shouldn't get involved with and i think the kind of questions should should be asked are how many of these treatments do you do? I would ask this even of a surgeon, how often do you, you know, what, how many procedures have you done in the last year? We all do clinical audits. If somebody said to me, how many orthotherapy treatments have you done in the year? I'd know because I have to audit it. How many of those did patients express, you know, satisfaction when they were happy? How many said they weren't happy? How many did you have to retreat? You know, da 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 da. And then you should ask about complications and risks. And I think that's important because that can be really glossed over, particularly in non-surgical. Now, to be fair, good hands, a non-surgical treatment in good hands is likely to be very low risk. Very, very low risk because people that are injecting or treating you know what they're doing. That's what you're paying for. But I think that's important to have experienced assessments How many complications risk? And then see good photographs, before and afters. What can I realistically expect? And what we've started to do more and more, and I think this is really good, is, and I think some surgeons do this, where you can see, they can show you a really good result, one that they perceive to be, this is a before and an after of a lady where she got a great result. But let me just show you somebody who's had a much more conservative result, somebody who perhaps just had enough to be satisfied but it wasn't quite what they expected and sometimes you can show these variations we do it a lot with body contouring we say look this is two cycles result this is three cycles result this is a six cycle result this is a really amazing result so it allows people to understand what they're really getting so and I don't think a consultation should ever be rushed people should be able to come back so we do, I do charge for consultations, but I say that gives you an open door to the clinic. If you want to come back for another two, three, four consults because you're really not quite sure of what I've said, then that's fine, you can you can come in again. So I think that will set the patient up for reassurance and it will set the clinic or the surgeon up for a patient who's happy, not somebody who's going to be griping and moaning about it and being mm. upset about it.
2: Um so- So let's talk about expectation because I think this is really interesting. And you you have a really incredible reputation for doing wonderful facial work. And you mentioned neck as well. Mm. Um, And I I know you can't say various things, but I can say you do injectables, (laughs) can't I? Um, And maybe actually just so listeners are are, are clear, you can't say it for very... um, uh, Oh, um, not obvious you can't say it for very valid reasons
0: there are, there are just certain things we use that are prescription only medicines We and, and we, we can't promote or we all know what they are but, but yeah, yeah. we can't Actively promote them so muscle relaxing treatments are are prescription only medicines so I won't mention any of those I can say muscle relaxing
2: injections yeah but you can't say the name that everyone knows okay
0: in terms of injectable fillers no they can be they can be named because they are devices they're not prescription only medicines so there was another technologies that we do I can mention
2: all of that yeah okay so let's go in and talk about um because I just wanted to say this I always think this about facial treatments that I think of injectables. And unfortunately, it tends to be the reality TV stars that I can call to mind very quickly. And I'm don't, and i not disparaging those ladies at all. But what tends to happen, I've noticed, is that they obviously go in at some point and they have something done. And I feel like, to your point about a good consultation, the first time they go in for that consultation, if they were shown a picture of them three years down the line where we see that the work has maybe gone too far, yeah. I don't think they would... So yes, make me look like that. But somewhere in the middle they have looked how they've wanted to look. Yes, I agree. I agree. I agree. And
0: I um I feel really quite strongly about this. We're certainly not the clinic for those kind of people who want mm-hmm. to look um like, you know, very, very all like cookie cutter, you know. It makes me really want almost want to cry. Mm. Uh, and this is only my personal view. I know plenty of people disagree with me. It almost makes me want to cry when I see young, gorgeous people, apps in the prime of their lives. I know I sound like an old, an old bat talking about like this, but I'm afraid I, I, I really feel, funny. and they they're are just They're just, <laughs> what is it? They're, they're in the prime of their lives, and they look divine. And they look different. They're different shapes, sizes, different shapes. They are beautiful. They're all beautiful, and they're lovely-looking people. Now, I understand if somebody's got a funny nose or a hook nose or something's wrong and that it's bothered them all over. I'm not saying that no young person should have work done. I don't mean that. But I think just too, we're lucky that we can do that. We're lucky that we can fine-tune things that perhaps bother us. Noses being one well, when we're young, you know, psychologically, it can impact on someone if they have a nose they don't like. So I, I buy all that. But you're so right, and you put it beautifully. There's a tipping point there's a point at which, actually, these treatments have just potentially gone too far. And then what happens is they just look odd. And why they don't look beautiful anymore is because all the natural... Nature is a wondrous thing, generally. Nature is generally a good thing. The harmony, the balance of the different facial features actually works generally quite well. We can make it even better. So by injecting in certain parts of the face, we could alter... The contours very slightly we can beautify if that's what somebody wants more we can enhance someone really subtly and those subtleties make amazing differences but it's when it all becomes so it's a bit like if we put beautiful makeup on I mean I always use analogies to people beautiful makeup you know, superstar makeup, you look incredible. You start to put, you know, bright blue eyeshadow on, thick black eyebrows, big blushy, big, you, it just looks awful. And it's, it's a similar thing with facial work. It's easy to cross the line. And once you get to the dark side, once you're on the dark side, you are really lost because those people don't even see it anymore. So what I often do is take a photograph of a person or show them some video of themselves if they want more work done and say, do you actually feel that you need more treatment doing? Do you? And actually, often that's a bit of an eye-opener for them. They go, oh, and they can see things in their face that they don't necessarily like. But the same applies with, with more mature people too. So if you look at, I would I always tend to focus on people between sort of 40 55, maybe 60 people. Perhaps I do that naturally because um, I'm in that age category. But I look at people on TV, magazines, or I see people in clinic who uh, every day. And some people, are, some of those people are very high profile. And the people that get it right are people who just have enough, but not too much. They're maintaining their look. They're keeping that naturalness about them. And they're taking the advice of their trusted practitioner to not let them go too far. And they don't clinic hop. So they don't go to one. And if you don't deliver what they want, you know, say, no, I'm not going to do your lips because of X, Y, and Z. Oh, well, fine. I'm just going to go somewhere else then. And I think that those people who do it well would be the people that we see on TV every day. And we think, you know, I was watching somebody, I won't say who, I was thinking, Oh, my God, they look amazing. They look like they've had absolutely zero done. But by goodness, of course, they've had a lot done. They're a certain age and they look. But that's the secret of good cosmetic medicine, I think. Looking as if you've had absolutely nothing done yet. To keep looking like that, you've got to have had quite a bit done.
2: Exactly. And I keep thinking, I I follow Jennifer Lopez on Instagram. Oh. And I can't, she's 51 years old. There must have been some intervention along the way. But she just looks oh. like she did 20 years ago
0: absolutely beautiful and of course some people are genetically blessed <laughs> but there are but genetically blessed or not age will win in the end and again there's nothing wrong with age winning in the end if that's the way people want to look and stay natural but if you don't and you want to maintain you know your your looks and you want to try and just use preventative measures and interventions there's a way to do it Seriously, I spent my whole life searching for Holy Grail, doing it so that people look so, so beautiful, but so natural. Mm. And I feel then that's a job really well done. I spoke to somebody very recently who's very, very well known, very, very high profile. And she said to me, do you know what, Tracy? People just don't know. I've done it it," and I just say, well, good for you, you know. That's that's what really good sentiment is about, isn't it?
2: So if someone's listening to this podcast and many of the, one of many of my wonderful listeners are very knowledgeable about skincare they might be using really gold standard anti-aging ingredients how um if they're now thinking you know what i'm using my retinols i'm doing all the right things but actually now's time i really feel like i want let's talk about muscle relaxants yeah is that really and i know we've touched on this before but is that really the first step uh.
0: I knew they'd ask me that. <laughs> um, for some people, yes, and for many people, no. And it, the answer to that is it depends on what age they start. And I again, it's difficult to know because different people pitch in at different times, don't they? Mm-hmm. Some people come in much earlier. I would say if someone's using their retinols and they're in their late 20s, say mid-30s, let's say 30s, and they've been using their skincare, they've been doing really, really well, and they say, I just want a little bit more prevention, you know, I just want a little bit of, you know, to keep keep things from the rot setting in. There may be a very light touch of, of micro-dots of, you know, muscle relaxant would be enough to stop, you know, frown lines, heavy crow's feet forming, not too often, but just, you know, very gentle treatments, um, perhaps twice a year, just to keep everything going. Um, if I'm allowed to mention, shall, can I mention products that I, I mean, I'm not here to promote products, but there are products that now we inject, that improve elastin and collagen in the skin. Can I mention it
2: or not? Yeah, of course, go ahead.
0: Something yeah. I like Profilo. So, oh, um, yes. Yeah. I mean, that kind of thing for a younger age category person is a good entry point because they're not going to alter their facial volume. They're not going to alter their look. They're not going to look overdone. It's just keeping that collagen, elastin, stimulation in the skin. And do you know what? That's exciting. If I'd have had that When I was that age, I would be embarking on that kind of thing now just to keep my skin quality good. I'd be doing all the retinols and all the things you've said, Emma, but I'd just be putting that little bit more effort into it. So younger age category, I'd say generally very light doses of muscle relaxant combined with, say, something like a light laser or something like Profilo. No change in look. They stay the same, but they look fab. Getting into the 40s, maybe older, the entry point. Do you
2: mind if we just quickly, do you mind just explaining exactly what Profilo is? Yes.
0: Profilo is is quite an exciting product. It was launched uh, two or three years ago now, and it's an injectable hyaluronic acid, but it's cross-linked in a certain way, and manufactured in a certain way, that it acts by really stimulating, very active production of collagen and elastin in the skin and elastin is the thing that gives this lovely lovely spring to to the skin so it's it's a sort of regenerative uh you know, have to be careful because you know regenerative and all these words we have to use carefully but it sort of stimulates all these healthy collagen and elastin in the skin has been proven to do that and actually it's that action that makes it so clever for a preventative early entry point treatment mm. because it doesn't alter anything at all. It still can be used in the more mature age category. For example, we use it a lot in necks for the more mature age, age category on décolletage, on hands, blah, 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 blah. So it can even be used on bodies. But actually, for an entry point, that's what, what Profilo is very good at doing. In the 40s and 50s, know, 40s, Is you asked me, is a muscle relaxant an entry point? Yes, still it is, but by then people may be getting some little bit of bone loss, little bit of fat loss, little bit of gum recession, even if we have impeccable dental hygiene, so our our gums start to very slightly alter, therefore the maxilla, the mandible, all slightly alter shape. So little light touches of filler as well to restore the bone. So sort of shape so that the face still looks very young, but not to par for overfill.
2: Because you said something to me last time I saw you in the flesh, um, which I'm only remembering now because it's <laughs> because I haven't seen many people in the flesh. Um, <laughs> and you blew my mind. My jaw was honestly on the floor when you when we were talking about lips, and you said I can make someone's lips look fuller without going near their lips. Yeah. And it was about the um, the muscles and the yeah. cheeks.
0: Yeah, it is. What we use is we use more indirect techniques now. We know that if we inject the lips, and again, I'm being very broad, very, very broad, in my speaking, because people vary a lot. What generally happens as we get older is the top lip, Um, the distance between the nose and the top lip gets greater. Mine certainly has as I got older. So for for perfect or really good aesthetic, the gap between the base of the nose and the top of the lip should only be a third, and the gap gap between the bottom of the lip and the tip of the chin should be two-thirds. So for Beautiful Harmony, it's a third to two-thirds. <laughs> and what can, and our lips sort for of...
2: Listeners, of, we're both pulling faces into it. Right
0: and I certainly have something to do. If you put a lip filler in that and you think, oh, God, you know, my lips have dropped. Oh, gosh, let's fill up those lips. Let's just give them a bit more perkiness. Disaster. What will happen is the lips will look fuller, but they'll slightly protrude. You've all, we've all seen this. Mm. Slightly protrude from, from the face and actually, the balance of the face is off. We just look at them think, those lips have been done, but they don't look any better, really. They just look bigger. So when I was talking, yes, what I do is we can inject deep on the bone by the side of the nostrils, right deep, where, the, where that sort of nose-to-mouth line meets the nostril. We can inject deep there filler to restore the lift of the top lip. And even by injecting a little on the cheeks to lift the mid-zone of the face, just tips the lips up, lips up a little bit. It's incredibly clever, but it actually can often um, rejuvenate and, and give that vavavoom back to a lip without actually having to inject it at all, which is quite quite clever.
2: Mm. Um, go on. sorry so let's talk about muscle relaxants because there are two um there are t- probably two main schools of thought I would imagine mm-hmm. there are those people who might be considering it because they see it as a preventative yes. and there are those people who are considering it because they are thinking that they want to erase signs that have already started to show so if we're talking about somebody who is looking at it as a preventative is it a good preventative
0: Yes. I'm in the camp of yes. Um, There are people that say, look, if you start, you know, very early and you're doing it very regularly, are you going to atrophy the muscle? And what that means is, are you going to make the muscle very weak and very, you know, um, thin and therefore you'll be more, um, more likely to need a brow lift, you know, when you're in your 60s or 70s? I don't think there's any evidence to prove that at all. In fact, one of the most well-known plastic surgeons in the UK who I've discussed this with pooh poos that very much. Um, if you don't overuse muscle relaxants in the brow, if you just use them with a very clear, you know, very carefully, low dose, don't overdo it, There's no. there's no problem with that at all as far as i'm concerned again i can only talk about the years that i've been treating and yes it is preventative it does stop if you think about it if you think about your skin as being like a piece of paper and you put a a crease and you know you're folding over the corner of your paper you put a crease in it and you really really put it's very hard to erase that crease completely you always see evidence of it if you actually put a muscle relaxant in the skin sooner, just as the lining is beginning to fall, you will find that you will never get that that skin creasing like that, or certainly you'll hold it off for a very long period of time until you know you need other interventions. So I'm a great believer in preventative muscle relaxants, but I never encourage people to do it too young or jump on the bandwagon too, too quickly. I think that, again, is uh, perhaps a little bit questionable, in my opinion.
2: If I look distracted, it's because I'm emailing your clinic <laughs> booking an appointment. <laughs> so okay, what, what about the, the other end of it where someone has, has uh, I mean, I'm probably very much in that camp of where I've never done anything. Um, and now this year, I probably will. Yeah. Um, and so the signs have started to show. Yeah, I
0: love people. I, I mean, I love to show how natural a muscle relaxant treatment can look. It's one of my biggest, my biggest sort of things when I can prove that actually to somebody that they don't need to look like they've had anything done. You can still have a bit of movement. You can, it just looks like you've literally been airbrushed. Mm. So it is a third entry point for people who've not had anything before because it's often the an easy thing to do. Let's be honest here. If someone doesn't like what it does, it's worn off in three months. The first treatment, so um, it's very low low risk. It's in um, experience hands. It's, it's not going to be a problem at all. And I do think it's a really good entry point, um, and it. I think it is a little bit um, like a eureka moment. So for a lot of people who have held it off and said, oh, no, oh, I don't fancy that. They have it done. They go, oh, why didn't I have this done before? Oh, it's been great. I love it. It's really, it's really, I look the same. I'm so pleased. Another thing that people don't realize, it's very good for necks. And again, I I don't get into that too much because a lot of people certainly not start off treating their neck. But for certainly bandy necks, and I've got the classic bandy neck.
2: What's
0: the a bandy of, neck? Well, you can see the sort of muscles coming from the chin down onto the clavicle where, you know, you've got sort of very, very stringy muscles. Um, actually, it's brilliant for that. So it can really make the neck look much smoother and it makes the, the jawline elevate as well, which is really clever, really clever. Mm-hmm. So I would say to you, Emma, it is a good entry point. It's In experienced hands, it should look really super, really natural, um, just enhance, you, you know, really, really subtly but beautifully. And if anything, it's a little bit addictive. That's the problem because once someone has started it and said, oh, that's great,
2: you know, you, you, you will want to continue it. it. It really does. Is it the case of because you don't really see it, people get too much because they want to see what they're paying for i think again it's
0: the the first one is always the best one <laughs> the, mm. first, the first one is always the best one you're always chasing the dragon because <laughs> the first one is the one that makes you know you go from generally if we've got established lining coming and we said we acknowledge we have we're not just using it preventatively the first time you see that result um you're like oh it's it's a miracle. It's fantastic. And, of course, what we're doing from then on is we're maintaining that result. So you're, you're, that that sort of rule factor is normally always at the beginning when you first have that treatment. And from then on, if you're doing the treatments the way you're meant to do them, you're meant to just be maintaining that treatment result. For me, good aesthetic medicine, too, is that. It's not... Looking great, then letting something wear off. Looking great, then letting something wear off. The idea is we're just drip feeding, in in the correct way, by the way, correctly medically, just to keep things looking consistently good all the time.
2: So if you go and you have a muscle relaxant injectable, what should you do? Should you put a a, a diary reminder to come back in three months? How do you get yeah. on that cycle where you're doing so, well, it, I mean, most patients
0: who come in will book before they leave because they're encouraged to and they're not encouraged to absolutely honestly on a commerciality point of view they're encouraged to because that's what they're coming for they're coming for because on the consultation that has been discussed they're coming for a long-term generally um answer to an issue they have. And they want to engage with that. You know, they've, they've made that decision after careful thought and careful, uh, careful consultation. So I would be frankly wasting their money if I just said, well, have one and then see how you go and goodbye. As I said to you, of course, anybody can jump off that bandwagon at any mm. time that they so wish. So what I do is say, right, we, met, we well, you should see you in about three months, four months. Let's put that in. If you don't need it when you come in, we won't do it. But it is a regular treatment that's done regularly. So most people will book before they leave. A bit like having, I mean, I don't want to put it into the same category, but a bit like I'll always book my roots to be done, my my hair colour to be done before I leave the salon. So if I don't, I'll forget, and then I'll have a little minor panic.
2: No, but that's a good point, well made, because I think when you're talking about, I mean, I'm sort of trying to put my consumer hat on here, and I am thinking um, I would have it done, And I don't necessarily think I would have joined the dots of and now now I've done this. It's a maintenance thing. And I think using the roots analogy is actually really quite good because it's not just about having one treatment and seeing what it looks like. It's about saying, right, from here on in, this is going to be as much a part of my skincare as my night cream. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's our job, to be honest about that. That's our job to be very frank about that before someone embarks on anything at all. Because I always say, if you like this, which you should do, because we've we've assessed you as to be a good candidate. Um, There's no reason why you shouldn't like what we do. um, Then they will want to maintain it. And that's our job to be clear at every level about what that entails. Time, financially, everything.
2: So, So that's important. Can I also just ask you about the magic, the magic happening? I always get a bit blurry about this and I want to get you on tape explaining it so if you go in and you have um, a muscle relaxant injected how long before it takes root (laughs) and what kind like because you can't have a facial there are certain things that you can't do aren't there
0: uh, well we do get a bit obsessed with all of this i don't think there's that much clinical data to prove what we say in terms of our <laughs> but i would say this the magic starts to happen pretty quickly you know even within 12 to 24 hours to 48 hours you start to see the lining um starting to smooth and, and fade the absolute finished product if you like finished result is between sort of 10 to 14 days, I say two weeks to a patient, because even when the majority of it's taken hold within the first sort of three, four, five days, gradually, gradually, as more muscle uptakes done, it will look even better. I won't do a muscle relaxant treatment. Um, I won't review a muscle relaxant treatment within two weeks because it takes that long to come to fruition. And the way that I do a muscle relaxant treatment, to be fair, the way that most really good experienced professionals will do it, is they'll do higher doses in certain areas of of the brow, let's talk about the brow, and we'll do lower doses in other areas in order to get natural elevation of the brow, not that Spock eyebrow look, I'm talking about natural balanced looks. And it will be the higher dose that kicks in a little bit quicker and the lower doses on different parts of the brow that will take a little longer to kick in. Now, that doesn't mean your, your brow looks all weird and strange and off pieced um, in the interim. But what it does mean is that it will take up to about 14 weeks to see the final finished article, as it were. So, and I always review every treatment. I want to sound very, very obsessed about that. I think it's an essential part of an excellent treatment is that you review it for two weeks. Even if someone's delighted and, and and doesn't want to come back, I think it's vital to see the result that you get for a patient.
2: Okay, and just talking about expectations as well. So um, I, well, I'm trying not to give it away. So a few years ago, I did Someone's Makeup. And before I did their makeup, I was told, oh, they've had a facelift. Yeah. So before I went into it, I had expectations and I thought this is gonna be the easiest makeup job of my life. And I came away feeling really cross with whoever did the work because first of all, what I did not expect, it was like trying to put eyeshadow on sand, if that makes any sense. I, there was no tightness, tautness, and it just made me think, well, I don't know what's happened here, but fundamentally the skin quality that this person has, uh, an, I, I, I was really, really surprised when they stood in front of me that this person had had a full facelift. Yeah. And so in terms of expectation, if we're talking about a muscle relaxant uh, treatment that has the appearance of making skin look smoother, more toned, maybe even I've seen people's skin look a bit tauter as opposed yeah. to tighter. Yeah. If you're not looking after it with skincare, is that like I agree. wasting it
0: yeah i agree i mean the idea with muscle relaxant is it just looks it shouldn't look shiny i'm just going to revert re- re- back and then it's like it shouldn't look shiny that shiny look I is awful that is not what mm. uh i think a good um muscle relaxant treatment should be by the way i just want to make that clear is
2: that where it's just been over treated
0: uh, a bit, and I think as well, perhaps other treatments on top that just look very, very shiny. That, that to me is not aesthetically pleasing. You know, I've got a 23 year old daughter; she hasn't got a shiny forehead. That isn't what, and that nice useful mm. brow, anyway. um yeah. and nor, nor, are these hyper elevated brows either. But to go to your question, yes. So genetics play a huge part. So if you can have a great surgeon, superb surgery, uh, let's let's assume is a good surgery. But if you haven't got a good canvas on which to work, you're on you're the back foot as a, as a surgeon before you even start doing surgery. Now that partly goes back to the consultation process and managing a patient's expectations. So for example, I have very fine, thin, very thin skin. Some people have very, you know, thick, lovely oily skins. So they tend to do better with facelifting surgery. And again, I'm talking incredibly broadly so the skin quality the canvas of the skin the amount of facial fat someone has the amount of gum recession all those things because what a surgeon will do if they're assessing you for surgery is looking am i likely to get a good result with this person mm. or is it going to be a really likely to be a poor outcome and it's surprising how you can get quite a poor outcome from quite a you know. a, a a sophisticated procedure like a, a facelift. So I agree. It is about preserving the skin quality if we can do that at an early stage. Genetically we're dealt what we're dealt, but what we can do is exactly what you said. Look after the skin, use retinols etc, etc. All the all the goodies we know we should be using. But also thicken the dermis with things I and mean, I'm not just banging the drum for things like profile, I'm just talking generally. Thicken the skin with with, with something like Profilo, injectable fillers as well. Again, I, I if I had one thing to take on my desert island away, I probably wouldn't care if I was on my own on a desert island anyway, would I? But I would take filler every time and twice on Sundays. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't take anything else mm-hmm. because actually, if you support the bone, what you're trying to do is restore lost bone volume with filler. You're not trying to plump. So actually, by just making that bony framework more strong, a, a surgeon will often be able to do um, a, a, an even more impressive lift. And I say a lot of surgeons who do embrace the concept of non-surgical, and many, many, many now, thank goodness, do, and they understand the importance of it, will know that if we've worked very well with a patient over the years prior to surgery, they're going to have a better outcome with their facial surgery.
2: So even so, if we're just talking about in- injectables, If somebody sat in front of you and said, oh, hello, Dr. Mountford, I think I need muscle relaxant or whatever it is, and you're looking at them and you're thinking, right, their skincare regime right now is not where it needs to be. Is that the first step before somebody comes in and gets you to try and give them perfect skin?
0: Huh. yeah it's our job to do that so if we see that i will often get people that do come in uh, not so much nowadays but come in and say they'll say again 50s or so say oh, i want oh i want muscle relaxer and i look at them and think no you don't need that you, really, you that's not what's going to give you the big game um so it is my job to assess the skin and say exactly that are oh, you using what are you using how are you using it you know educate them not because again we're trying to sell them you know 350 skincare products from our clinic it's because we're not doing our job properly if we don't tell people that so you're right it starts with to be honest it's multidisciplinary if you're if we're looking for the right advice for somebody it is a multidisciplinary approach and people vary with their needs but it will be skin Quality, whether that's lasers, whether that's be home skincare, whether that's bogs, it will be supporting the framework of the skin, making them understand that they have lost two percent of you know collagen per year after menopause, they've lost bony tissue um, throughout that perimenopausal time. So it's filler maybe supporting that. And what people don't understand is that filler. Will stimulate natural collagen at a deep level. It's not just putting a sticking plaster over a problem and then it just goes away after a year. I mean, it actually stimulates natural collagenesis as well in the skin. So yes, it's our job to get the skin in good condition, address the concerns that we need to, to do before we get on to other stuff. That yeah, we're, we're not going to do our treatments justice if we if we just bulge in and do something too quickly. That's what uh, most, most people do all simultaneously and get everything cracking at the same time.
2: Yeah, I was talking to someone earlier this week and I, 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 they brought up something that I'd never really considered before. My job as a beauty journalist for 20 years, I've been very much aware of what I'm using on my skin and why I'm using it. But they were talking about the woman who gets to their early 40s has never really taken their makeup off before bed, has never really used anything other than a simple moisturizer, and then suddenly looks in the mirror age 40-something and goes, oh, my goodness, I need to do everything now.
0: I know. <laughs> That's actually quite common. That's actually, you know, it's, it's more common than one thinks. And also it, it, it's – it's and I know what you mean. There's so much education out there. We think that, you know, people would know this, but a lot of people don't. They may do, they may know it, but they may not actually have time. And though most of us who are in the industry would say, well, make time. And these people have often grown up raising children, busy lives, they've come last on the list of, of priorities, um, and all kinds of other reasons. And so it's our job to to try and, and get them on track when they come to see us. But you're right, often those people will need. A, a multidisciplinary approach to get them to where they need to be, which isn't difficult it's actually very very straightforward for us but it's not just a a, a quick shot of something will give them you know back their mojo it needs a much more sophisticated approach and i'm very respectful of you know some of the things i may suggest may end up being way outside what people want to invest either time-wise or financially i'm, I'm totally respectful of that but it is our job still to tell them Um, They're easy wins, the things that are the easy wins that are going to get that, you know, get them that result in the simplest, most cost-effective
2: way. And I know it's probably, well, I'm sure it will vary for every single person, but if somebody does come to you and they are that candidate who suddenly feels like their skin has fallen off a cliff and they want you to help them get back up, what kind of time frame are you looking at if you're looking at the idea of, right, let's get your skincare sorted, and then once that's beginning to take hold, Let's do this. How long does somebody need to be using skincare before you would say, now I'm comfortable to intervene with an injectable?
0: Yeah, most of the time you can intervene quite early on. It's just an ongoing process. So I'd start them on skincare, um, immediately but I wouldn't be waiting that it's very rare that you see someone despite what we've just discussed where you say oh my goodness I cannot do anything yet until you know you've done six months of skincare. There's no doubt the skincare will take at least three sites, skin cycles to have an impact. So it's going to take each skin cycle being about six weeks. So it's going to take about 18 weeks to actually see significant clinical impact. But we're not going to wait that long because you and I both know you know if someone sent me away and i was really on my you know on my sort of journey um i'd want to get going and that's a psychological thing too isn't it so i would actually probably start them on skincare within a few weeks get them into their injectables but keeping going with the skincare and monitor them and that's actually really simple that's really easy to do um and people can get their you know a, a quite a comprehensive treatment program might take you know three months four months but most people few visits two or three visits and, and we're, we're on a roll and we're done and we just monitor them so it's actually for most people quite straightforward but i mean we are lucky i think very few people come in with really such significant poor quality skin that we need to say right hold on a minute you know if, if we put anything any injectable into you it's going to dread what we can't we can't do it we can't do anything for the moment that's very rare to look to be that bad but there Are people who could should definitely work on their skin care, but most people are prepared to invest in their skin care quite heavily now, particularly after lockdown as well. Yeah, and it's lifestyle factors, you know, that is things like the obvious things that affect skin are smoking, sun, heavy drinking. You can always tell a smoker from their skin, you can always tell really? what well, you can always tell a heavy smoker from their skin,
2: quality. really. I find it fascinating. I find it fascinating what you must see when someone walks into the room and sits in front of you because you see a whole layer that no one else, no one else will be able to see. Just if I, if I sat opposite you at lunch, I would look at you and I would see your face, but you would look at me and you would see my face.
0: Yeah, but it's like anything. You only know, see the sit next to the psychiatrist in the dinner dining. You know the, the room. You know I'm not there, sort of really overanalyzing people's faces. I like all sorts of faces, and and you know the way they want to live is the way they want to live. I don't think oh she could do with this or that. What I do get upset more about though is bad work. So if I'm sitting with somebody that I think oh what a shame because that very lovely looking person. Has been made to look slightly odd, and I've got—I I am quite hypercritical about that. I mean, I've got a lot of lies. I've got things I don't have. You know I'm very busy I not I'm not saying that I'm not saying that I'm not judgmental and I'm not ageist I love people just saying no I I, I don't want to do this this isn't for me as I said earlier that, that's fine but what I do get upset about more is when people are prepared to invest they want to invest in their look and that they've 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 embraced that concept yet the work is not enhancing them in any way it's making them look just slightly odd mm. you know it's like having two too big mean, it's all a, it's about having two bigger cheeks and having a hollow temple why would you do that to someone they look like you know they've got a peanut head it can it just looks slightly off you know the contours of the face look off so overfilling cheeks you leave temples behind that's not right so you know there's certain things that you know i'm going to be looking at and thinking oh my gosh if only they'd done this or not done that that person would look so much more beautiful so much more you know Oh, it, it, that's what gets to me more. Yeah. So yeah, that's what
2: upsets me. So thinking about expectations, if someone's listening to this, and well, I, I'd be really interested. Say somebody does come to you, and I know it doesn't. You've said it's not the most common response, but if someone does come to you, and they are saying, "I thought it might do this, and it's only done that," how do you how do you reframe so that they're actually? being realistic about what they can expect from the kind of work that you do.
0: Truthfully, and I'm not just saying this because we're, we're talking on a podcast, because I've, I've just been consulting for so long, my, my patients are unlikely to say that, because I do like to be really transparent and incredibly clear so that there's no wriggle room for that kind of conversation because that's terrible for them and terrible for me if you know they they, they start along that tackle oh, i really thought it'd do this and, oh goodness it hasn't done say, oh no you know so that,
2: really happens. it's it really is as you said that's earlier like,
0: failure of me you know as a as a, as a if they come back to me on one of my treatments saying that that's the way i would see it because mm-hmm. i'm not i've not actually presented that treatment um, in the right way however if I see someone who, who says, you know, remember, this is a very big clinic and says something like, Oh, you know, I really hoped it would do more. I really hoped it would do this. That's often an easy conversation actually, because we can often turn that around very simply. um, And actually do something that will do exactly what they want. If they're being unrealistic and we've been clear before and they're still unrealistic, well, there's, then that's a slightly more tricky conversation. But if actually they're being wholly realistic um and i think yeah they're actually right we could we could get that better we could actually just fine tune that that's easy that's easy we just we just go over that for somebody but that's easy that's that's about developing that relationship and, and getting into someone's head and and understanding what they want from it and getting that trusting thing too where when i say do you know what i know what you mean but actually, why that hasn't happened is X, Y, and Z. But why don't we do this? As long as they trust you and trust what you're saying and, and know that you've got their best interests at heart, they'll accept it. Because I'm not telling lies, you know, I'm not misleading them. But if there's something, but if there's something where we can improve, that's our job to improve it.
2: And what? And, and so, if yeah, I mean, I know that your clinic does operate at the highest standards, so I can totally imagine that you're not fielding those sorts of inquiries every day, but it's just that idea of somebody considering it and just having their expectations met and just, and do you find that if you, I know you said you see people, you review may be a muscle relaxant um, after two weeks. Do you think sometimes what happens is they'll have the treatment two weeks later, They might they might express, oh, but then you take a picture and then they can see the difference is when you're looking at your face every day, can you kind of lose track of the progress and the difference?
0: Yeah, I think genuine. And again, I'm not just saying this because we're talking and this is going to go out. Uh, I, we don't, I don't get that kind of comment. Oh, this is, you know, this (laughs) is, Good and why have I paid for this? And oh, it's dreadful. And, and no, I don't get that at all. Um, generally speaking, there is a predictable outcome. And I think what is that famous saying? I've got this wrong. Some golfer says, somebody says, Oh, you were really lucky there. I think it's Jack, uh, Jack Nicholson, um, not Jack because he's an actor, isn't he? But somebody said, You know, Oh, you're really lucky getting that hole in one. And this golfer said something like, Yeah, it takes a lot of practice to be that lucky. <laughs> and it's the same with cosmetic. I've got the wrong. Yeah, it's the talk time. Which is that actually, it is very rare to get that kind of feedback when you've been injecting so many different people's faces for so long. The chances of getting dissatisfaction like that are very, very, very rare because you're more seeing a patient for review and you're saying, great, let's just. I mean, I'm more picky than my patients most of the time you know i'll say hold on there's just a little bit there let me just fine tune that for you so actually it's very rare to get that from a muscle relaxant treatment where you're more likely to get that but even again very rarely in our clinic but where you're more likely to get that is say you're doing um, a strategic uh plan of treatment where you're actually building up the contours and the bony structures of the face. And I we would have set out a plan for, say, three visits. And it's incredibly important then, and I always say to a patient, please don't judge the work that we have done for you until we've finished the whole treatment strategy, until we've finished the whole treatment plan. Because if you can imagine, this, you know, we start off in the right place and the right way to build things up, and then we move down the face, and then we move to the jawline. When we're doing this piecemeal, it is easy for someone to say, "Well, I didn't, you know, that first treatment doesn't look much different." Oh, you know, I, I'm not sure this is going to work, and oh gosh, you know, I, I'm only done a third of it, but I'm not, I'm not convinced yet. So I say to every single patient, please, if you if you start this, will you just do the journey? And then when we look at it at the end, and that always works because people will trust. it. So again, it goes back to what I keep going on about, trusting mm-hmm. that someone knows what they're doing. And by the end of that journey, they'll get the result they want, and it will look very nice. And if there's a little bit of fine-tuning to do at the end, that's our job. That's what we do, and that's fine. It only gets sticky, honestly, Emma, with non-surgical, when you get a great treatment outcome and the patient can't see it. That is really difficult. That is really hard. And I know my colleagues and my fellow plastic surgeons as well will always have those people. They're rare, but they're there. You know, people who you look at it and you think, oh, great job. Oh, you know, you're almost patting yourself on the back as a practitioner. And they sort of are totally underwhelmed.
2: Is that because of a, is that because of something like body dysmorphia though is yeah that, like, no, most are
0: we're trying to screen out um, all the time of course people that, that, that give us you know uh, cause to be concerned that if we do something on them we, we're never going to deliver what they want you know that is our job to try not to to, to treat people with body dysmorphia but again if you speak to enough practitioners and enough plastic surgeons etc you can screen and screen for that. But you may never screen out all of those people and they may gradually evolve during, you know, a few treatments where you think, oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, And then it's tricky because most people can screen out at the beginning, but there may be people that you can't screen out right at the beginning. We try our best because that's, again, you, you know, we shouldn't be treating people that we can never match their expectations. But that is, again, pretty unusual. It's part of, part of what we do and part of what we have to be careful about. So those are the awkward conversations where you do your best. And I always say to a patient, I can only promise you, I can't promise you a fantastic outcome. You can be the best of the best of the best of the best, whether you're surgical or non-surgical. You can never promise someone you'll match their expectations. What you can promise them is you'll do your very, very best to match their expectations. And you'll do it with their best interests at heart. But you cannot do any more than that. And if somebody goes into it with that understanding, it's a wonderful journey you have with them. You know, it's great. And, you know, you, you adjust your treatments over the years as they're ageing. And you. it, it is just the, that's the thing that I love. Because people say to me, you know, I'm towards the end of my sort of, injecting I suppose, in a away you know i've been injecting for a long time and um people say to me oh you know who who would you just want to do you know as you as, as you sort of cut down your list a little bit and do a little bit less hands-on i said oh you know i love everybody i love all kinds of personality types that's what's kept me going I love the progression of the industry and what we all do now is so much cleverer than we used to do before. So much more sophisticated and and we can do so, we can give actually non-surgical results with non-surgical techniques. How clever is that? But I love seeing the people I've seen for 20 years. I love seeing the people that I've treated, you know, and they're in their 70s and 80s and they still come. For me, I just find that so refreshing. That, that that those people are still coming to see me, and that for me is success. That's what I, I built. You know that that real um, that shows they trust you. You know,
2: mm-hmm. and when
0: people come in and say, I say, what, what what are we? What are you thinking? What are you considering doing today? I always ask an open question for my regulars. What what are you considering that you think you might need to do? Sorry, I always say, I give my say. Oh, Tracy, just do what you want. I really. <laughs> Whatever you think, I'll trust you. And that, to me, is the way that relationship should be.
2: That's how I am with my hairdresser. I don't even pay attention.
0: <laughs> that's good, And then you trust them, don't you? They're not going to really mess things up. Yeah, I
2: literally just am like... I I, last time I went to the hairdresser, I didn't actually look at my hair properly until after I'd left.
0: I see, I see, I love that. I, I, you know, I must be one of the few practitioners... I was going to say something, Noel, that's great. Um... I never show a patient in a mirror after I finish. I don't do that. I, um, if they ask, of course I will. And I'm not trying to hide what I've done. <laughs> 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 I to go, you know, shmooshin on the door quickly before they see Please. what I've done. But no, 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 I, I just say, look, it will look, it will look really good. And um, we discussed it thoroughly, of course, before we started. And we've gone through it together with the mirror. Of course we have. You know, I haven't just sort of done what I fancy. But what I mean is I've done what I know will look really, really good. We've developed that trust. We've been clear on what we're tra- the objectives we tried tried, you know, at the beginning. And I say, right, let's see it in a couple of weeks. It'll look great. And that's – and I, I don't encourage them to stare at themselves. Because you know what – you know what – you haven't delved too far into this but you know when there's a few little tiny marks or a little bit of this and that I know it's all going to settle down and look really really good so they just they just go out and they're happy and they come back for their review
2: so if someone's listening to this and they haven't ever done a thing before and they're just thinking right okay what what's the right procedure go and have a consultation if you have a consultation could you be injected that same day
0: yeah, we're very keen on what we call call-off periods nowadays and best practice. You know, we are very, very aware of people feeling rushed into treatment and, you know, they, that we shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. However, non-surgical is one of those areas where if so, someone's often come with it, a great level of it, uh, interest in a particular thing so we i think most people i think if you interviewed all of the people in the non-surgical arena not the surgical arena but the non-surgical arena most of us would say a similar thing if people are unsure um then of course we we need to send them away to reflect and i do that a lot i do send people away to reflect rebook da, 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 da. a lot of people have either had had treatment before elsewhere or they've come with such a level of understanding and, and, and they're clear that it would be, and they'd come from say Cornwall, you know, and they come on a four hour journey or five hour journey to see mm. us in the country. I think that would be a bit churlish and a little bit annoying to send them away. So we go and get them just to take some time to reflect on what they want to, you know, go through the consultation, have a think, reflect on it and then come, um, you know, on that same day, they can have the treatment. But they do still have a cool-off period, but it's not, you know, it's not weeks or days. It's day. not a go away
2: tonight and come back another day. No, time.
0: but so we're very, we have to take a pragmatic, uh, ethical, um, balanced approach to that and decide what, you know, in a non-surgical arena, in a surgical arena, my goodness, yes, they've got to go away, think, come back. Go. But I think in a surgical, a non-surgical, as long as there's no enticements, as long as they are are fully aware of what they're going to be undertaking, then they could have it the same day, but they just need to reflect for a while. Uh, by the time they've, they've thought about it, taken some time, looked at their forms, had more time to ask questions, then that would be deemed uh, appropriate to the professional. If I get any inkling that someone's not sure, no, 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 they, they should go away and reflect.
2: This is why I like talking to you, Tracy, because you always have, you're so generous with your expertise and your information. And in actual fact, I had on, I've, I have on my list of things to talk to you about so many different things, including body contouring. But we've come to the end of our time together. So we'll have to do that another day. Would you come back and actually talk about that? Because I think, because there's to. so much innovation and, and, um, advancement in that particular field and the last time I saw you it wasn't on tape but we were talking about how you're constantly refreshing your knowledge and your skill base and having to stay um, right at the cutting edge of what's new and what's happening and using it to inform everything that you do but the body contouring I think is really fascinating body contouring is, is growing enormously I think that's another really helpful one for listeners um really what the expectations are and yes. where your head should be going in as well as where your body should be going in.
0: But, you know, final note, you know, with non-surgical, you go to a good clinic, and there are some very good clinics out there, you know, as is one. But there's lots of other really good people. And actually, do you know what? If you, if you, generally speaking, with a non-surgical procedure, you'll get a great outcome and you should be very pleased.
2: Okay, I'm going to ask you something else, though, very quickly. Do you get what you pay for?
0: I think so. We, you mean an I, I, Yeah, I think so. We, I will ha- hold my hand up immediately and say this: we are not the cheapest clinic. We are not. We, um, we are high end uh, fee, um, and not everybody wants to pay that. And again, going back to what I've always said, I respect that. I totally get that. We are not going to be somebody who wants to spend, you know, one hundred and fifty pounds on on a treatment. We are not that kind of clinic with a high end, but i know that we have you know the expertise in the building we're safe we're safe we know how to deal with every event we um strive for absolute fabulous outcomes and we're committed to to, to you know developing and working with our patients so for that i do believe yes you do be, you do get we pay for definitely
2: so if it's cheap or it's a job lot or it's a bio course a yeah, maybe. I
0: mean fine, we do them body contouring because otherwise it's so damn expensive. Poor people will never be able to access the facility. And and we do do that with, with body contouring. Um and but in terms of pressure selling, where I where it's fine to do packages, it's fine to to wrap things up because I actually get great, great treatment packages. But when things are really timeline, there's heavy pressure to book, you know, within two days, otherwise you'll miss out, or three days. Frankly, just my view is that puts people under too much pressure. Everybody likes to feel they get something of of good value. We're all like that. You know, we want something um, that's good value. But I think that at our clinic, you pay for a high quality service. and, And I believe we provide that.
2: Tracy, it's always such a delight to speak to you. And listeners, I'll put the links to Tracy, her clinic and everything that we've discussed in the show notes. But thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you very much Emma, it's been a pleasure as always, thank you.
2: Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want to get in touch with me, please don't hesitate. Email me at thebeautypodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter, where I am at emmaguns. If you want to have a conversation with me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then go to the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode, and click the link to join the closed Facebook group. It is a closed community. You have to answer a couple of questions and agree to the forum rules before you're allowed in. But once you are, trust and believe it's a lovely supportive happy brilliant place I, I love spending time in there so come and join us thank you so much for listening I will see you on the next one